Hi, my name is Charles Hefner on program staff. You're listening to week six of False Creek Podcast. The speaker for week six was Shane Pruitt, and we had 5,061 students in attendance. Enjoy. Are you excited to see what God's going to do tonight and continue to do? Yeah. Awesome. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you got to sit by me. Tell them that. And if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is right after Philippians chapter 3. Does that help anybody? Philippians chapter 4. Go ahead and get out something to write on and get out something to write with because I want to give you some truths tonight that I think will encourage you as we're getting ready to be sent back out into our mission fields. As you're turning to Philippians 4, I want to tell you about somebody that's here tonight that's special to me, that's brought two little ones that's special to me. Uh, My wife is with us tonight, and they're sitting in the back. And... uh, we also have with us tonight two out of our five kiddos that are also with us, little uh, Harper and Elliot. Uh, but my wife, Casey, was so special, and I've been waiting to tell you this, um, is my wife, Casey, grew up in student ministry coming to church here back in the days when they used to have Texas Week in the old open-air tabernacle, and my wife surrendered to Jesus as her Lord and Savior right here at Falls Creek when she was 15 years old, and still serving Lord, so... Listen, God has been doing a lot of amazing things here for a very long time, and our prayer is that he'll continue to do a lot of amazing things for a very long time, even after we're done being here. Amen? Would you agree with that? Awesome. Philippians chapter 4, and tonight we're going to talk about the mystery of joy. So we've been in this progression of starting the first night of answering the four basic questions of life, ended with Jesus. Uh, Tuesday night we picked up with who Jesus is. Uh, Wednesday night, we talked about following Jesus. Uh, Last night, we talked about when Jesus saves us, he also sends us into a mission field. And tonight, we're going to talk about joy and having joy in the midst of all of our circumstances. Um, How many of you would just be honest, uh, as a family tonight, we're a big extended family, how many of you would be honest and say, Shane, uh, when I left to come to camp here, I left from a pretty rough situation. How many of you are coming out? to camp from a rough situation. How many of you say, Shane, if I'm being honest, uh, when I leave tonight or in the morning, I'm going back home to a rough situation? All right. Um, How many of you have ever had a bad day before? Anybody ever had a bad day? All right. Um, Anybody ever received any bad news before? All right. Uh, It reminds me of the guy who goes to the doctor, and the doctor goes, I got bad news for you and really bad news. And the guy goes, gosh, I guess give me the bad news uh, first. And And the doctor goes, well, you got 24 hours to live. The guy goes, gosh, it gets worse than that. What's the really bad news? And the doctor goes, I meant to call you yesterday. Like, that's bad news, right? Like, we've all received bad news. We've all gone through difficult days and difficult circumstances. We've all had rough situations. We've all had things happen to us that's not fair. We've all suffered. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the purpose of joy in the midst of suffering and how you can have joy no matter what you're going on. So I want you to write this down from the very beginning. Biblical joy is greater than worldly happiness. See, we're told, aren't we, by culture that we need to pursue happiness. That's, that's the part of life, is pursue happiness. And our friends in Louisiana said, you know, you need to be what? Happy, 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 right? 
and we must go out and pursue happiness. But here's the deal is that there's a worldly definition of happiness that I want you to write down. And this worldly definition of happiness is often feelings that are built on circumstances, right? If our circumstances around us are right, then we have these happy feelings. If our circumstances aren't right, then we have these unhappy feelings. And the danger of that is allowing things around you that you cannot control to dictate your inward feelings. When you're allowing outside things to dictate your inward feelings, that's very dangerous. How many of you agree it's very dangerous to pursue and to follow your feelings? Would you agree with that? Our feelings can change, right? Happiness on feelings, happiness built on circumstance can come and go, right? You can wake up in the morning and have a good hair day. Uh, everything's going your way, all right? That girl that you like likes you back. Uh, you ace that test that you didn't even study for, and you feel happy. You feel like Leonardo DiCaprio at the beginning of the Titanic, right? You're on front of the ship going, I am the king of the world. And then the next day you wake up, you got bedhead going on. Uh, the girl you like dumps you for your best friend. Uh-oh. And then you fail that test that you've been studying for. And then your happiness is gone, right? And then you feel like Leonardo DiCaprio at the end of Titanic where you're in the freezing water going, it's so cold. It's so cold, right? You're like, that's sad. It is. Here's the deal. Is I want you to write this down. Worldly happiness is built on circumstances. That's dangerous. But biblical joy is better. Because biblical joy is not built on circumstances. Biblical joy is built on a person named Jesus. And see, here's the great thing is that happiness is outward circumstances dictating your inward feelings. Joy means this. You have been bought with the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God is inside you. Christ is in you. So joy is in you because your joy is not built on circumstances. Your joy is built on a person named Jesus. And so you have this inward peace, this inward contentment, no matter what's going on around you. You could say it like this. I have joy, and my joy has a name, and that name is what? Jesus, and he gives us this great promise in Hebrews, he will never leave us or what? Forsake us, so no matter what our circumstances are, we can have joy. So it looks like this, good days, joy. Bad days, joy. When everything's going our way, what? When nothing's going our way, when we are winning, when we are falling on our face, why? Because our joy is not built on circumstances. Our joy is built on a person named Jesus. And our joy has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. I want you to see this in God's word. And may you rest in biblical joy instead of chasing worldly happiness that's impossible to attain. And it will never fulfill us. Look at Philippians chapter 4 starting at verse 4. If you're with me, say uh-huh. Turn to your neighbor and say pay attention now. So let me set the context that's always important for Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul is sitting in a jail cell, and he's literally got a Roman soldier chained to him. And why is he in jail? He is not in jail for illegally racing camels. He's not in jail for, you know, reselling stolen sandals, all right? He's in jail for preaching the gospel. And this church in Philippi that Paul planted, they take up this love offering 
to send to Paul. And they send this love offering with the messenger to Paul. Paul receives the love offering, and he writes this letter to send back to the church at Philippi. And the letter is full of talking about joy. And here's the deal. He is sitting in a prison cell. You may look at it and go, what does Paul know about joy? He is sitting in a prison cell. And listen, those aren't good circumstances. He probably doesn't have happy feelings. But he still has joy because what he's going to teach them and teach us tonight is that his joy is not built on circumstances. His joy is built on Christ. His joy has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. And the reason he can have joy is because even in a jail cell, his Christ is with him. And so he can have joy. I want you to look at this, Philippians 4, 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Is that what your Bible says? Rejoice in the Lord when everything goes your way. Is that what it says? What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means always. He, I love it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I love it. It's almost like he says, in case you didn't get it the first time, let me tell you one more time. All right? And he says, again, I will say rejoice. I want you to write this down and never forget it. Forget it. Joy is a command from Scripture. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. So you could almost invert that to say this. If you don't have joy, you are in sin. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you say, Shane, I know without a doubt I'm a Christian. I know without a doubt the Holy Spirit of God is inside me. If the Holy Spirit of God is inside you, then you should have joy. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about faking it till you're making it. I'm not talking about having a cheesy smile. I'm talking about no matter what's going on around you, you got this inner peace. You got this inner joy. You got this inner contentment. Because your joy is not built on those circumstances, it's built on Christ. That joy is a command. Now, can we talk? Because I think your generation, you, you get it even better than us adults. Isn't it sad that some of the meanest people in the world sit in church pews every Sunday? How confusing is that to the world? Do you know anybody, they walk into church every Sunday, look like they've been sucking on a sour pickle all morning? You know anybody like that? Just got this sour look on their face like, God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Like, really? Would you tell your face that? <laughs> right? Because there's nothing more confusing to the world to say we're a people of joy and we're miserable and mean all the time. That it's a command from Scripture. And you go, well, Shane, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my life, and you're right. And you don't know my life, and you don't know what I'm going through. What I'm saying is no matter what we're going through, here's the good news is if we're a follower of Jesus, we may not know, I may not know what you're going through. You may not know what I'm going through, but here's the deal is I know who is going through it with us. And the question is, in this moment, in the most practical of ways, is when you're going through difficulty and difficult circumstances, what are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the circumstance, or are you going to focus on Christ? And Christ is bigger than your circumstances. What are you going to focus on? Here's what I can promise you. I want you to write this down. Whatever you focus on is what you will follow. And what you follow will be what you run into. It's kind of like this. Uh, I have a cousin named Kaylee, and when I was 16, 17 years old, she was about 7, 8 years old, and one day she comes up to me, she goes, hey Shane, would you teach me how to ride my bicycle without training wheels? And I go, I would love to. So it was a Saturday morning, 
I loaded her bicycle on the bed of the truck. All right, she gets in the truck. We go up to the high school I'm attending. It's Saturday morning. We pull up in the parking lot, wide open parking lot, not a car in sight. All right, I get her little bike out. All right, she gets out. I take her little training wheels off. I put her little helmet on. I put her little elbow pads on. I put her little knee pads on. And I go, all right, Kaylee, here's the deal. Here is how you're going to learn how to ride your bicycle without training wheels, is you're going to get on the bicycle, all right, and I'm going to start walking beside you. I'm going to hold it, and you start pedaling, and then I'm going to start walking faster. You pedal faster. Then I'm going to start jogging, and you pedal faster. Then I'm going to start running. You pedal even faster, and then I'm just going to swing you and let you go, and you just pedal your little heart to freedom. It's going to be awesome. And I go, Kaylee, are you ready? And she goes, No. <laughs> And I go, why? And she goes, because there's a light pole. Now listen, wide open parking lot. And in this parking lot was one skinny light pole to light it up at night. And I said, Kaylee, go to the right, go to the left, hey, go even up the middle, just don't hit the light pole. And I go, are you ready? And she goes, no. And I go, yes, you are. And I start walking, I say, pedal. And she starts pedaling, I go, are you ready now? She goes, no. And I start going faster, I go, you ready now? She goes, no. And I start going faster, I go, you ready now? She goes, uh-uh. And I go a little faster, I go, you ready now? She goes, uh-uh. And I go, yes, you are, girl. And I say, go. And I kid you not, she starts pedaling, and she makes a beeline for that light pole, smacks it, falls over. Her little helmet starts rolling across the parking lot. I thought it was her head. I was like, oh, no. Now, let me ask you this. Why did she hit the light pole? What was she focusing on? The light pole. And listen, we all go through hardships. We all go through difficult times and difficult days. And listen, you can go through life focusing on all the hardships. You can go through life focusing on your circumstances. You can be like the person who complains all the time. Do you know anybody that just complains all the time? You know anybody like that? All right, some of you are pointing. Don't point, all right? And listen, you can be that person that goes through life and all you see is light poles. You can go through life going, up, oh, there's a pole, up, oh, there's a pole, up, oh, there's a pole, here's a pole, everywhere a pole, pole, right? And if that's what you focus on, that's what you will chase, that's what you will hit. And here's the problem with that, is you only get one life. Like, we don't believe in reincarnation, you get one life. And here's the deal, is every day wasted in bitterness and anger is a day wasted. See, you can, in those moments, you can either focus on the circumstance or you can focus on the one who is greater than your circumstance, and that's Christ. And no matter what you're going through, your joy is not built on circumstances. Your joy is built on Christ, and your joy has a name, and that name is what? Jesus. Focus on him, because when you're focusing on him, he will lead you and you will follow him and he never promises us to pluck us out of difficulty he promises that he is with us in the difficulty and that we can have joy look at verse 5 continue on and he says this i love this he says let your reasonableness and i love the esv translation of that he said let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I love that they use the word reasonableness. Basically it means this. Here's what I can promise you. You want to talk about being a good witness at school and around your family and at, at your job and in your neighborhood. You want to talk about being a good witness? Watch this. Let difficult things happen to you and around you 
and watch if people still see joy in you and still see peace in you, they will ask about it because the world does not understand that. The world cannot have that. The world cannot comprehend that. Man, when they look at you and go, man, I know you're going through difficult things. Your parents are splitting up. Your family's breaking apart. Man, you're sick. Things just keep going on around you. And yet you still have joy. How do you have that joy? And then I love this next part here. Look at, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then look at the last phrase of verse 5. What is it? The Lord is what? At hand. When somebody looks at you and go, hey, I know you're going through difficult circumstances. I know you're suffering. I know you have pain. I know the hard things have happened to you. How do you still have joy? You can say, the reason I have joy is because the Lord is at hand. My God is with me. And the reason I have joy is my joy is not dictated about the things going around me. My joy is dictated by the one who is in me because my joy has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. Now that is attractive to a lost and dying world. I want to share the story of our family. Um, I've shared with you a lot this week about our family, our kids, and they said we got five kids. Two are biological, three are adopted. Our six-year-old son, Elliot, is adopted from Uganda. And our little man suffers. And how many of you are parents in the room? Raise your hand, grandparents. Listen, students, there's no kind of suffering like watching your child suffer. Our little man, he rocks a really cool bright orange wheelchair with the logo of God's team on the side, the Miami Dolphins, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, all right? <laughs> and our little man, he suffers from cerebral palsy and epilepsy, he has multiple seizures every day. He's been with us for six years. And early on, we knew he had some special needs, but we didn't know how severe they were until we got back to the States and a lot of tests were run on him. Over the last six years, our son has had 13 surgeries, has been in and out of the hospital, constant doctor visits, constant visits with therapists, constant battles with insurance. What's interesting is when you go through the process of adopting, you fill out a lot of paperwork and go through a lot of training, and one of the pieces of paper you fill out with, fill out is literally a checklist of things you're open to and not open to. Like, you literally, you check yes or no. And you hate to check no on anything, but to the best of your ability, you kind of check on things that you think your family can handle. Isn't that ironic? So you say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And it's almost like at that moment, I think God was laughing and he's like, hey, yeah. Hey, fill out your little checklist. See how that works out for you. <laughs> and I think that's relevant for every area of our life. Because almost everything our son suffers with today, we originally checked no, we were not open to. And people will ask us today, they'll say, hey, Shane, Casey, if you knew six to seven years ago what you know now and what your life would look like over the last six years and how your son would suffer, if you knew everything then what you know now and you could go back then 
and you knew then what you know now, David asked this question, do you still think you would have adopted your son Titus? And I think naturally, because we want to show off, right, we'd say, yes, and reveal the S on our chest because we're super Christians. But I think it's safe being with you all week where I could say, if we'd be honest, don't be very careful how I say this, the people who we were, let me say that, the people who we were seven years ago would have probably said, no, we can't handle that. We can't take that on. That's too hard. We're in ministry. We're too busy. We don't have time for that. Could you imagine? No, we can't do that. You know what the good news about that is? Is that's why a holy, on-purpose, sovereign God did not consult with us. <laughs> is he always knows better what we need in our life? That his dream and his plans are better than ours? Because let me tell you, the last six years of our life have been by far the hardest six years of our life. Because there's no kind of suffering like watching your son suffer. But hear me this, it's been by far the best six years of our life because we love our son. He is our son and the Lord has used him, I believe, to make me a better follower of Jesus, a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better follower, a better leader. He's done the same thing with my wife, that God has used our son in amazing ways. And he has taught us, watch this, the value of joy in the midst of suffering. And we get to use his story all the time. And it's amazing. Every night, listen, every night we lay hands on our son, praying for God to heal our son. Listen, he doesn't walk. He doesn't talk. He can't feed himself. He has a G2 button in his stomach to where that's how he's fed. And listen, every night we lay hands on our son, pleading with God to physically heal our son. Does your theology hold that? Do you believe that God can heal? Do you believe that? I believe God can heal. Just even with the thought, he could heal, and Titus could get up and run and play and laugh and get in trouble like all the rest of his siblings. But here's the irony of how God uses pain and suffering in our life. As the last six years, as we have been praying for God to heal our son, God has been using our son to heal us. And the lessons he has taught us in the midst of pain and suffering are invaluable. And here's the amazing thing. All the time we have total strangers walk up to us at the store and they'll say, hey, y'all don't know us, but we follow your story on social media and your son ministers to us. Your son impacts us. And once again, isn't that amazing how our great God is so amazing that he can use a little six-year-old boy who cannot walk, cannot talk, cannot feed himself, and yet God can use that six-year-old boy for his glory and his kingdom expansion. And listen, if that same God can use our son, that same God can use you and your pain and your suffering and your difficulty and your circumstances. Why? It happens when you have joy. It happens when your joy has a name, and that name is what? Jesus. Jump down to verse 10 for time's sake. So he continues on, look at verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Remember, he's in prison, or he's in a jail cell for preaching the gospel. They take up a love offering, they send it with a messenger. Paul gets it, he writes this letter back to the church at Philippi. And he's going to take a moment here and say, hey, thank you for sending me those physical goods. Thank you for sending me those resources. I need them. I am suffering. 
I'm in pain, so thank you. But I'm also going to use this as an opportunity to continue to pastor you and lead you. And then look at verse 11. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, what does your Bible say? Content. I want you to underline that word, all right? So he says, no matter what I'm going through, I know how to be content. I know how to have peace. I know how to have joy. Look at verse 12. He goes, I know how to be brought low. Anybody been brought low before? He goes, I know how to abound. Anybody ever had good days before? It's the ebbs and flows of life, right? We all go through those. He goes, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Look at this. In any and every, what does your Bible say? Circumstance. Turn to your neighbor and say circumstance. Now I want you to underline that word circumstance. So he said this. No matter what circumstance I'm going through, I know how to be content. Now continue on. He goes, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now I love this. Look at verse 12 again. I want you to see something in there. He goes, I know how to be content. He goes, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. And he goes, I've learned the secret. Turn your neighbor and say secret now. I want you to underline that word, secret. All right, here's this mystery, right? It's a mystery we want to discover. And so basically he says this, no matter what I'm going through, good day, bad day. When everything's going my way, when nothing's going my way. When I got a whole lot, when I got a whole little. I know how to be content because I have a secret. And we're like, Paul, what's your secret? Tell us your secret. Now, Philippians 4.13 is the secret that Paul's going to reveal to us. Now, please, everybody look up at me just for a moment. Philippians 4.13 has to be one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. Philippians 4.13 has to be one of those verses used out of context more than any other verse. Please hear me tonight. Philippians 4.13 has nothing to do with dunking a basketball. It has nothing to do with hitting a home run. It has nothing to do with bench pressing 300 pounds. It has nothing to do with knocking someone out. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ah. Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with winning the lottery or all the other. Has nothing to do with slapping it on our letter jackets, all right? But Philippians 4.13 in context is absolutely beautiful. He says, hey, I've learned no matter what's going on around me to be content. And the reason I can be content is I have a secret. And we say, Paul, what's your secret? Philippians 4.13 is a secret. Now, you could probably quote it with me. You've seen it on t-shirts. You've seen it on coffee mugs. You've seen it on computer desktop screensavers with tulips and roses in the background, right? What is it? Say it with me. I what? Can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says this. I can get through any circumstance because there's a power in me greater than that circumstance. I can get through anything I'm going through because there's a joy in me. And my joy is not built on the circumstances around me. My joy is built on the Christ in me. And my joy has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. And here's the deal. Is that the power that is in us is the greatest power in the world. We do not worship some weak, false, fake Jesus. We worship a real King of kings, Lord of lords, and all-powerful Jesus. 
And he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And he that is in us is greater than our circumstances. We can have real joy. So let me pose a hypothetical question to you. Why would we ever follow someone who can't do anything different than we can do all by ourselves? Let me say that again. Why would we follow someone who can't do anything different than we can do all by ourselves? Let me give you a very difficult circumstances. Death. Not too long ago, I read a statistic, and the statistic said this, one out of one dies. We're not getting out of that, right? So why would I follow someone who can't do anything different than I can do all by myself? I can die all by myself. I'll give you an example. Buddha. He lived. He claimed to be somebody. He died. And he stayed what? Dead. I don't know about you, but I can do that all by myself. Why would I follow him? Think about Muhammad of Islam. He lived, he claimed to be somebody, he died, he stayed dead. I don't know about you, I can do that all by myself. Why would I follow him? Joseph Smith, the central figure of Mormonism, he lived, he claimed to be somebody, he died, he stayed what? Dead. I can do that all by myself. But let me tell you about somebody named Jesus. That he lived, he claimed to be God, he died in our place. He was buried in a borrowed grave. And three days later, he did what Buddha did not do. He did what Muhammad did not do. He did what Joseph Smith of Mormonism did not do. Jesus busted out of the grave. And I don't know about you. I can't do that all by myself. I think I will follow that brother. That he is alive and his spirit lives in me. And if you have truly surrendered to Jesus, he lives in you. And that is the mark of being a Christian. Not just praying a prayer or getting dunked in water or filling out a card or being a member of a church or even being Baptist. The mark of a Christian is the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, there will be joy there. There will be peace there because those are fruits of that Holy Spirit. We all go through difficult things. Now let's talk as we land the plane. We've all had hard things happen to us, haven't we? We've all had things happen to us that's not fair. We all have had things that happen to us that, not, or that are not okay. In this room tonight are some very real victims. In this room tonight is some very real pain and some very real scars and some very real deep wounds. And really tonight you have a choice. You can take that pain and you can turn it inward. And when you take pain and you turn it inward, it turns into bitterness every time. So you can walk through this life being bitter. And every day you walk in bitterness, it's a day wasted. Or you can take that pain and that suffering and you can see it under the light of a sovereign God and say, according to Romans 8, he's doing all things for my good and his glory. And you take that pain and you turn it outward. 
you take that suffering and you turn it outward and you realize that there's a joy in you that's greater than it all and it's not built on those things it's built on one greater than those things Jesus and when you turn that outward you are not being bitter it's making you better because that is the sanctification of the Lord and watch what he will do see here's the deal is that camp right at camp we all love those mountaintop experiences. How many of you love the mountains? Anybody love the mountains? I love going to the mountains, all right? How many of you are more like my wife? You like the beach? Anybody like the beach? All right, I'm more of the mountain guy. All right, have you ever been to the Rocky Mountains, all right, or another mountain range? And see, have you ever noticed this? At the peak of the mountain, at the very top, what grows at the peak of the mountain? The answer is nothing. It's just rock up there. See, in a mountain range, where's all the life at? Where's all the trees at? Where's all the grass at? Where's all the villages at? In the valley. See, in our walk, we always want these mountaintop experiences, right? We always want these mountaintop experiences. But here's the reality. is sometimes we will grow the most and mature the most in the valleys of life. Because it's there where we're reminded that our God is with us and our joy is with us. Because our joy has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. We've all gone through difficult things. And see, there's an enemy. And the enemy wants to lie to you. See, the enemy wants to use your pain and your suffering and your difficult circumstances to isolate you. And he tells you no one knows what you're going through. He tells you no one suffers like you do. He tells you no one understands. And he wants to use those difficult things to make you run from God, to run from the church, to run from community. How many of you, and watch this, we all know somebody, how many of you know someone who at one time claimed to love the Lord, then something hard happened in their life, and now they ran from the Lord and they're nowhere to be found. How many of you know people like that? Look at that. See, the enemy wants to use pain and suffering and difficult circumstances to isolate you. And often the Lord will use those very things to make you run to the Lord, to make you run to community, to make you run to the throne of grace and let his hope become your hope. Let his victory become your victory. Let his peace become your peace. Let his joy become your joy. I want you to write this down in closing. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to land upon the rock who is Jesus. God strips away everything around us so that we can see him and realize he is enough. But we've all gone through difficult things. We've all suffered. We've all been victims. We've all gone through hardships. And the enemy says, no one knows what you're going through. The enemy says, you're all by yourself. No one understands. And I want to show you tonight where that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. We're going to do something a little different tonight with the permission of our camp director. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to keep your head bowed and I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. And I'm going to walk through a list of difficult circumstances. This is what I'm going to ask you. If one of these things apply to you, I want you to keep your head bowed and I want you to keep your eyes closed and as quiet as you can, if one of these things apply to you, I want you to just stand up, but keep your head bowed and keep your eyes closed, and I want you to stay standing to the very end. 
So heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to walk through a couple of some difficult circumstances here. And if one of these apply to you, I want you to keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. And I want you to stand up and stay standing to the end. But keep your eyes closed, your head bowed, and just stay perfectly quiet. See, the enemy says no one knows what you're going through. The enemy says you're all alone. The enemy says no one understands. The enemy says no one suffers like you do. I want to show you where that's a lie straight from the pits of hell with eyes closed and heads bowed. Would you stand up if you've ever personally suffered from cancer or someone you love has suffered from cancer or died from cancer? Would you just stand up but keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Stand up. If you've ever been devastated by the death of a loved one or someone you love very dearly has died, would you stand up? Would you stand up? If your biological parents are no longer together or your parents divorced, would you stand up? Stand up. If you've ever been emotionally physically, spiritually, mentally, or verbally hurt by someone else, would you stand up? Stand up. If you've ever suffered from being bullied, either in person or online, would you stand up? Stand up if you've ever been devastated or heartbroken because someone lied to you or they broke a promise to you, would you stand up? Stand up if there's ever been a moment in your life where you felt like giving up and you questioned why you were even still alive. Would you stand up? Stand up if there's ever been a moment in your life where you felt like an accident and God messed up by creating you. Would you stand up? Stand up if you've ever been devastated by someone you loved because they broke your heart thought that was the person you would be with for the rest of your life and they broke your heart. Would you stand up? Stand up if you've ever been extremely hurt and wounded by someone close to you betraying your trust. Would you stand up? Stand up if there's ever been a moment where you've doubted God. Would you stand up? See, the enemy says, no one knows what you're going through. The enemy says, no one goes through circumstances like you do. The enemy wants to use this to isolate you and make you run from God, make you run from forgiveness, to make you run from Jesus, to make you run from community, to make you run from the church. Because the enemy is telling you, no one goes through what you do. You're all alone. I want to show you where that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. I'm going to ask you, don't say a word. Don't talk to anybody. Right where you are, I want you to just open your eyes, lift your head, and just look around. See, you can almost say it like this. The church of God is a people of God who have been healed by incredible God. And the church of God is a people of God who all suffer and who all go through difficult circumstances, but they realize this, they are not alone because their great God is with them and he will never leave them or forsake them. And there's a church 
run in this race with them. And that's the beauty of community is we get to laugh together, we get to cry together, we get to rejoice together, we get to suffer together, we get to win together, we get to fall on our face together, but the most beautiful word in it all is what? Together. You are not alone. That your great God, if you are a child of God, is in you, and your joy is not built on the circumstances around you, your joy is built on the Christ in you because your joy has a name. And that name is what? Jesus. You can say it like this, we all got past. And here's the deal, is some of you have beautiful stories and some of you have beautiful testimonies and God is calling you to surrender to ministry so that you can use your testimony to minister to others. And tonight you need to surrender to that call to ministry. You need to surrender to that call of missions. You need to surrender to that call to serving others and you're trying to run from it and you can't outrun God. God can use your story for his glory because he is the masterful one to take our misery and make it our ministry, to take our mess and make it our message, and to take our test and make it our testimony for his name, his fame, and his glory. But here's the deal. And some of you tonight, you need to surrender to that and say, God has a story in my life that I need to share to minister to others, and you need to surrender to that tonight. And then there's many others who you've seen hundreds upon hundreds this week surrender their life to Jesus and get flat out saved. And here's the deal. All the promises we talked about tonight only apply to those who have been bought with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God is inside of them. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, this promise is not for you yet. But it can be tonight been fighting it all week or maybe tonight God just opened your eyes and go man he is not inside me I need this peace I need this joy meaning this you need Jesus you've been fighting it all week and tonight you need to get saved because here is the promise I must make to you tonight because it's true if you have been bought with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God's inside of you Here's the good news. Here's the good news. No matter how bad this world is, or no matter how bad this world gets, it's as close to hell as you'll ever be because heaven is your home. And here's good news. is suffering has an expiration date because of the victory of Jesus. To know there is no cancer in heaven, there is no suffering in heaven, there is no heartache in heaven, there is no divorce in heaven, there is no cancer in heaven, there is no handicapped parking places in heaven. Amen? It's as close to hell as you ever give it. Now here is the bad news I must tell you before you can hear the good news. Is if you don't truly know Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if the Holy Spirit of God does not live inside of you, here's what I can promise you. No, bad, no matter how bad this world is, no matter how bad this world gets, hear me, it's as close to heaven as you'll ever be because hell is your home. But it doesn't have to be. Tonight I'm going to pray. And the moment I say amen, if you say, Shane, I need this Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need that patience. I need that peace. I need that joy because ultimately I need Jesus and I need eternal life. 
I'm going to pray and say amen. The moment I say amen, the band's going to sing, and you come. You tell the person next to you, excuse you, excuse me, and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. If God is calling you tonight, you need to come. I'm going to pray and say amen, and the moment I say amen, and you need to surrender to Jesus tonight, you need to come. You say, Shane, I need that joy because I need Jesus. You come. I'm going to pray, and the moment I say amen, you come. God, you are good you're good all the time. So God, would you reveal yourself tonight by transforming lives? And God, I pray that not one person would leave here the same tonight that they walked in. God, those that don't know you, may they know you tonight. And may they have peace and may they have joy because ultimately they have Christ in them. So God, would you save people tonight for your name, your fame, and your glory. We pray this in the name above every name, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You come now, right now. Come now. Come on. Come on. Come. Thanks for listening. 